The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Busy, Stressed, and Food Obsessed with host and author of the award-winning book of the same name, Lisa Lutan. Lisa has amazing tips to help you slow down, get healthy, manage your time, improve your relationships, and deal with stress. Now, here is Lisa Lutan. Hey everyone, it's Lisa and welcome to the show. I get to introduce you to my favorite health and wellness rock stars and today will be no different. I am crazy excited for today actually because I'm going to be chatting with one of my health heroes, Mark David. Although he doesn't know this, through his books and podcasts, Mark has been my teacher and mentor for many years. His book, The Slowdown Diet, is one of my all-time favorites, and I can honestly say it helped shape my coaching philosophy with my own clients. Mark David is the founder of the Institute for the Psychology of Eating. His fresh, inspiring, and innovative messages about food, body, and soul have made him a leading visionary and teacher in nutritional psychology. He's the author of the best-selling books, Nourishing Wisdom and the Slowdown Diet, and has been featured on CNN, NBC, has been, appeared in Glamour, L, WebMD, and just about everywhere else you could imagine. We are so lucky to have him here with us today. Mark, welcome to the show. Lisa, thank you for such a wonderful introduction. I'm blushing. I'm a little shy right now. I'm glad you can't see me. <laughs> I meant every word. I'm, I'm just ecstatic. You've been so helpful to me. That's so, so Mark. Sweet. Thank you. You're welcome. I start every guest with the same Lisa 5 Ask Every Guest questions. So let's start. Number one, what did you have for breakfast today? Oh, my goodness. What did I have for breakfast today? I had a cup of organic black tea with raw honey from Brazil. I don't know why I like to say that part, um, but it feels so good. I had a piece of gluten-free toast with tuna salad, but a nice, healthy tuna salad, high-quality tuna, good olive oil, Um, and here I am. Yeah. What is your favorite form of exercise? Oh, my favorite form of exercise happens to be on a paddleboard on the ocean. Because I get, be to hard be in Colorado. I get to be on the ocean, which I love. Um, and paddle boarding, you can make it as hard and as much of a workout as you want. And sometimes you could even see whales and dolphins. What's a habit you're trying to break or add? A habit I'm trying to break or add. Um, I am trying to add the new habit of getting up even earlier in the morning. You know, right now I get up at about 8 because uh, I tend to get to bed pretty late. So I want to see if I could shift it to about 6.30. Hmm. How do you spend the first hour of your day? First hour of my day is spent kind of doing self-care. You know, I take a good shower and I do a, 
I do a hot and cold shower. I alternate between hot and cold in the morning. I finish up with cold. It's my cup of coffee in the morning. I'll make my cup of tea, and I'll kind of slowly ease into my day. And who is someone in your life that inspires you? Who is someone in my life that inspires me? Interestingly enough, the first person that came to my mind is my son. He's 24 years old, and I'm inspired by, by who he is and who he's become and how he works on himself and how he shows up in the world. Uh, so not only am I proud of that, I'm just like, wow, you're a good human. I want to be like you. I love that. Yeah, our kids are our best teachers, aren't they? Right. Totally. I always say my son is my spiritual teacher. It's so true. It's so true. So true. So, Mark, tell us, how did you, tell us a little bit about your journey from how you ended up being a psychology of eating expert. How crazy is that? You know, Lisa, honestly, sometimes I think life chooses things for us. Um, rather than we choose it. You know, I came into this world, um, was born into this world very sickly, very asthmatic, almost died a handful of times in childhood from asthma. I had some uh, undiagnosed, nobody knew what to do with it, autoimmune condition. And my first handful of years of life were just misery. And I couldn't run, I couldn't play with other kids. And I was allergic to everything and... Um, you know, my parents took me from doctor to doctor. I was also a very intense stutterer. I couldn't speak uh, without saying every word about 10 or 11 times, and nobody could help with that. So somehow, don't ask me how, around the age of five or six, I heard a rumor that fruits and vegetables were good for you. I asked my mom to change my diet. Uh, I was raised on, you know, Fruit Loops and Kool-Aid and Velveeta cheese and everything unnatural. I don't think I'd ever seen a real piece of food. Uh, and coincidence or not, she changed my diet and my health started to change. And from a young age, I, I just had this magical experience. I made this connection that, oh my goodness, I could help myself. I can, I can take my health into my own hands. It, it, was, it was a revelation for me. Um, but at the same time, very magical for a child's mind. So that got me hooked on nutrition. And I just used it and experimented with it just as a young person and eventually went into it as a profession really back in the day when nobody was doing it. And Lisa, you know, I, I started seeing clients when I was 21 back in like, like 1980 or something. Uh, it was crazy. And I noticed something interesting. And I was seeing clients in New York City. I had a very wealthy, educated Wall Street clientele. And... I would tell them what to do. They'd want to lose weight. They'd want to feel better, whatever it was. And, and these highly educated, highly motivated people would come back a week or two later, and oftentimes they'd say, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what you told me. I couldn't do it. And that was another revelatory moment for me um, because I realized that it didn't matter how much nutrition information I knew. That wasn't enough to help a dramatic amount of people who all of a sudden I'm noticing are binge eating and overeating and telling me they're emotional eating, and I realized I needed to learn eating psychology, and there wasn't any. So simply put, I decided to write the book that I wanted to read, which meant I had to go back to school, study psychology, 
learn eating psychology on the fly, you know, and I did that. And that's a long story in and of itself, but that's the short answer to your great big question. I'm blown away by so many pieces of this story. First of all, a five-year-old requesting fruits and vegetables is just mind-boggling to me. That's right. that's number one crazy thing. Number two, you know, at 21 years old, advising when so many 21-year-olds 20, are li- literally eating pizza and ice cream still. You know, even today, with all the knowledge we have, 21-year-olds are really not taking such great care of themselves. So to have that wisdom at such a young age is beyond incredible. And then three, just knowing at such an early point that there was this psychology behind it. And I really want to talk about this today so much because I think so many people are so convinced if they just start eating the right foods and exercising the right way, everything's going to be perfect, right? And we know that's so not the case. So can you talk a little bit about what is psychology of eating? You know, on one level, it's, it's very simple. The psychology of eating is your food story. It's how you come to see food. It's how you come to see your body. It's how you are in relationship with food. And that relationship with food, interestingly enough, can drive not only our behaviors around food, but it can literally drive our chemistry and drive our metabolism. And what I mean by that is just as an example, um, you know, and, and, and when I talk about eating psychology, I want you to know that I'm not talking about eating disorders. That's like saying, hey, Lisa, let's talk about health, and then we start talking about end-stage cancer. Well, sure, that, that, that's a piece of the equation. What's happened is we've taken eating psychology, we've reduced it to eating disorders, so you only talk about a person's relationship with food these days when they have, you know, anorexia or extreme bulimia or extreme obesity, what about everybody else? Me, you, everyone you know that doesn't necessarily have an eating disorder, but 98% of us who don't have an eating disorder, we have a relationship with food, and we eat, and we have beliefs about food, and we have certain habits and challenges that can often hold us back. We overeat, we binge eat, why? We emotionally eat, why? Um, so... The way we relate with food is connected to who we are as human beings. Um, you know, simple, quick example, um, toxic nutritional beliefs. A lot of people are walking around with beliefs about food that are, to my mind, as toxic as junk food itself. So in other words, there's a lot of people who are trying to lose weight, and they have this toxic belief called food is the enemy. And they're literally walking around unbeknownst to themselves. Food is the enemy. Food is the enemy. Why? Because food makes me fat. And if food makes me fat and I eat it, nobody's going to love me. People are going to make fun of me. I'm not going to be the real me who wants to do that. So every time they eat food, they're in a mild stress response. And that stress response is impact, impacts the body. It creates a chemistry. Stress response will put us in its sympathetic nervous system dominance will be in some degree of digestive shutdown, some degree of nutrient excretion, and for many people, it will skew appetite and it will decrease calorie burning capacity just because of a simple belief in the mind. I really want to delve deeper into stress response, but I don't want to lose a point that you made earlier that I find so intriguing. So many of the 
issues out there, you're right, are relating to the extreme, the people with disease, the people with eating disorders. The, but almost everyone <laughs> seems to have an interesting relationship with food. I mean, there are some people that don't have any issues with food, but many of the people that I know and work with do have within this normal, whatever normal is, have their issues with food. And why is that? Like, where did this all come from? Great question. And I want to, first and foremost, agree with you um, that, that probably just about every person I meet somewhere, somehow, has, their, has a thing with food. And, and for some people, it's just not that big of a deal. And for other people, and more so than we realize... Um, food and their relationship with it, their relationship with their body is really gripping them. So, so why is that? Honestly, when I trace it back, it's the world we live in. Um, unfortunately, psychology, the field of psychology likes to blame it on the individual. Well, what do you got to do? What's wrong with you? We have to change your behavior. Uh, we have to delve into your psyche. And, and that's all great. That's all useful. Half of our relationship with food, yes, it's driven by my unique personality, my inner world, who I am, what my tendencies are, but the other half is driven by the world I live in. So in other words, you and I grew up watching movies, reading books, seeing images, and you're being advertised that, you know, eat this delicious chocolate cake, go into any supermarket. And look at the magazine stand right at the checkout. You'll see food magazines, and, and chances are there'll be a you know a, a beautiful chocolate cake on the cover, and you know, and then there's going to be like five articles, and each one is about losing five pounds in six days. We're getting a lot of mixed signals. We're having junk food sold at us, and then yet we're told junk food is junk and is bad for you. We're given images of you have to look really skinny in order to be loved, but then at the same time, we're told to eat and eat and sit and sit, and our culture doesn't always support us having a healthy relationship with food. So we get a lot of mixed messages. So but are makes, we... Yeah. Aren't, aren't we bringing in a lot of baggage, like from our childhoods, so those messages we were told, you know, all those tapes in our head, isn't that playing into it as well? Absolutely. So it's your upbringing, it's how your parents related to food and body. And again, it's movies, it's images, it's television, it's music, and when you mix it all together, uh, you know, and then kids are in school together and, and we make fun of each other. Kids could be mean. Um, <laughs> so it's easy to grow up in a world where your body is kind of your billboard. It's, it's, it's your advertisement. And we're taught that, you know, if you have the right body, then, then you're going to have the good life. Um, so all of a sudden, we're all trying to have the right body to have the good life. And people make the quick distinction, oh, well, my body is driven by my relationship with food. And I could change my body by changing my diet or changing my exercise. So all of a sudden, it becomes kind of a, a deep rabbit hole. And it's starting younger and younger, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. So that's why it's so important to uh, give our kids a good, healthy relationship with food, which oftentimes means we have to have a good, healthy relationship with food. So are you saying we need to separate the issues, our relationship with food, from our actual 
body image and what we eat and how we eat and live. Like there's almost separate issues in here that are have gotten mushed together into one and we have to kind of look at them separately. Well, I think it's good to, yes, I think it's good to break things down so we can understand them because oftentimes we try to reduce and oversimplify such as, oh, you want to lose weight, just eat less and exercise more. Well, Lisa, we've been giving each other this message since the 1960s. Want to lose weight? Eat less, exercise more. That hasn't worked. If it was true, humans aren't that dumb. And you know something? We're not even that lazy either. Um, (laughs) I know people who work very hard to diet and to exercise, and diet and exercise is not, believe it or not, the royal road to weight loss. It's hard for people to understand that because that's the message they've been given. It's more complex than that. So when we try to oversimplify things, we oftentimes end up in a lot of frustration because we're then doing ineffective strategies that don't work because we don't look at the very rich and interesting and complex nature of food and the body and our relationship with food. This is a perfect place. We're going to go to a break. We're going to come back and talk about with Mark David why food and exercise is not enough. Stay tuned. us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you a busy, stressed, and hungry go-getter who knows what to do to get healthier but has trouble doing it? The problem with popular diets is that they were designed for other people, not you. Sure, they might work for the short term, but for the longer term results, you need a plan designed specifically for your unique body and lifestyle. How about the stress in your life? Do you ever stop and take a deep breath? Do you know what all this stress is doing to your health? Healthy living strategist and author of Busy, Stressed, and Food Obsessed, Lisa Lutan will get you on your way with coaching, online courses and challenges, and even retreats. You will learn tips and strategies to help you calm down, get healthy, and make you feel and look better than ever. For a limited time, Lisa Lutan is offering a free 15-minute breakthrough session to help you get started feeling better right away. Just visit HealthyHappyAndHip.com to get your free 15-minute breakthrough strategy session. That's Healthy, Happy, and Hip. Yes, you heard it right. HealthyHappyAndHip.com and enter your info in the contact page. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Busy, Stressed, and Food Obsessed. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. Feel like sending an email instead? Send it to Lisa at HealthyHappyAndHip.com. Now, back to Busy, Stressed, and Food Obsessed. Here again is Lisa Lutan. Hey, everybody, welcome back. We're having a great conversation here. We're talking about why food and exercise is sometimes just not enough. Now, Mark David, who's the founder of the Institute for the Psychology of Eating, is with us. And I want to read a quote of his that I love before we get back into the conversation. 
Stop looking for the perfect diet, the perfect way to eat. Be willing to let your relationship with food be messy and uncertain. Perfectionism around body or diet or weight or eating is soul-crushing and destined to create internal suffering and outward failure. That happens to be on page 142 of my book, if you're wondering. (laughs) So anyway, let's pick up the conversation around food and exercise. We've been told again and again, Mark, that if we just eat a little bit less, work out a little bit more, all our problems will go away. Why is that not the case? Well, when it comes to weight loss, the reason is that the body, contrary to what science has been saying, and science, you have to understand, is an evolving field, and it can get into its own old habits. We have been taught that weight loss is a pure function of calories in, calories out. That is why we have the model, eat less, exercise more to lose weight. It is a very mechanistic model assuming that the human body just needs to burn more calories and eat less calories, and then everything works. But it doesn't work that way. Why? Because as it turns out, things like macronutrient balance, the ratio of protein, fat, and carbohydrates you're eating will dramatically affect weight for many people. In other words, especially if you're high in sugar, high in poor quality carbohydrates and low in healthy fat and protein, um, wow, you're setting yourself up for weight gain. And for a lot of people, you just shift their macronutrient balance. That works. For some people, they're constantly eating in a stress response. And the stress response, no matter how much exercise they do and no matter how low calorie they eat, that stress because of the hormones associated with stress, in part cortisol, insulin, adrenaline, noradrenaline, When secreted in excess, those hormones can signal the body to store weight, store fat, not build muscle. So anything that puts us under stress can chemically drive us towards weight gain or weight loss resistance. Time of day that you eat impacts your calorie-burning metabolism. The kind of exercise you do, not just pure exercise, but the kind of exercise you do. If your exercise is stressing out your body, that will cause stress. There are people who can, who can run marathons and just lose water weight and, and not lose much else. Um, that's another story. But anyway, weight loss is just more complex. There can be emotional factors, locked in trauma, locked in past history of physical abuse or emotional abuse um, that lives in the body that will create literally weight gain. That could be at the root cause. So there's so many possibilities. And I think it's proven itself out because, again, over the decades, the dieting and exercise strategy hasn't worked. We have to look at food quality. We have to look at the chemicals in our environment, the prescription drugs that we take, the level of stress that we're under. That's just a few factors. So you've mentioned so many varying things that can affect our ability to lose weight it sounds a little bit overwhelming like for someone who wanted to go lose five or ten pounds like where would they even start you know it's interesting because it's it's a complex question so when you say to me it's let's play with this for a moment for someone who wants to lose five or ten pounds where should they start let me tell you where i would start um just as a practitioner The first thing I wonder is, do they really have five or 10 pounds to lose? Lisa, I'm going to tell you over the years, I have worked with hundreds and hundreds of clients who 
want to lose five pounds. And mm-hmm. I guarantee you that you and I will agree that every person that you and I know who wants to lose five pounds, where do they want to lose it from? Their bellies. Bingo. Okay. So everybody wants to have these like superhero abs and buns of steel or whatever the heck we're talking about. And what's happening oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes with the five to 10 pound group is it's about perfectionism. And it's, and, and it's this carrot that they're holding out in front. If I just can lose this five pounds right from here, oh, dear Lord, then everything's going to be better. I'm going to be me, the real me. I'm going to be uh, you know, exciting and interesting and have all kinds of beautiful people around me. It's a bunch of nonsense. Um, we get hooked on these ideas that we don't realize drive us so deep. That's the first place I go. Do you really need to lose that weight? Now, maybe you have 30 or 40 or 50 pounds to lose. Um, and yeah, so people might try dieting. They might try dieting and exercise. Um, and for a lot of people, that might be successful. And then if it's not, you know, Lisa, like anything else in life, sometimes we need help. You know, if you don't know how to perfectly manage your money or how to perfectly invest it, um, yeah, you might get financial advice. If you want to build your own house, you might hire an architect because you're not good at designing a house. So I love reaching out for help when I need help. And a lot of times with weight loss, there's not a lot of good help out there. That's why I do the work that I do. That's why we train professionals because I want to see some good wisdom out there um, to address weight loss in the beautifully complex zone that it's in. So, yeah, I'm always about people start out eating healthy. Like, what's a healthy diet for you? What's, what's, what's good? What's organic? What's more real? What's more natural? You know, I, I would always urge people as a great starting place to move towards food as it's intended to be created in its most natural state. So, Mark, what do you eat in a typical day? What do I eat in a typical day? You know, Lisa, I'm going to tell you, I'm not a typical eater. I, I, I just, just so you know, I, I never like telling people what I eat because I don't want people to eat like me. Most <laughs> nutrition experts, you know, I'm paleo, I'm vegan, I'm this, I'm that, and I want you to eat like them. And the interesting thing is, everybody is different. I want you to eat like you. Um, my diet changes all the time. I play, I experiment. Um, during the winter time, I eat like about five times more fat than I eat in the summertime. It's just what my body craves. So I don't really have a typical day. I'm on a bit of a protein kick right now. So, you know, I'll eat fish at breakfast um, and I will probably, you know, have some kind of lean protein at lunch. Um, it could be it could be more fish. It could be a piece of meat. It could be almond butter, um, I can go for then months without eating meat, and meat looks awful to me, and I become a vegan. Um, so I wish there was typical, but, but for me, the key is high-quality food, no matter what food I'm eating. I'm always looking for high-quality, and I'm always looking for what's my body calling for. Um, that's an interesting question because it's, it's one thing to set yourself up on a diet and it's another thing to listen to your body. And sometimes the two go along with each other and sometimes 
when you listen to your body and, and, and just experiment and play with that, you might find yourself moving in some fascinating directions that you wouldn't have thought. So I love that you said that because I totally agree that we have to continually be experimenting. Even though something's working for now, in a few months you might feel differently and you have to constantly have that kind of curiosity, you know, around your body and, and listening to your body, which is so important. And how do, you know, people always say to me, I don't know how to listen to my body. How do you recommend that people start making that connection to what their body wants and how they're feeding themselves? Mm, great question. You know, for someone that says, oh, I don't know how to listen to my body, the way you learn, easy way to learn is whenever you eat something, I don't care if it's a meal, if it's a snack, the great thing to do is to notice how you feel while you're eating. Just notice it. And notice how you feel after you eat, five minutes after you eat, 20 minutes after you eat. Literally, how do you feel? Start to notice. Um, you know, I was with a friend of mine, and I noticed that at, after most meals, she was sniffling and her throat was getting phlegmy. And she was always trying to clear her throat. And I said, have you ever noticed that most times after you eat, your throat gets kind of stuffed up? And she's like, no. <laughs> yeah, all the time. And I started suggesting dietary tweaks to her just to experiment and play. And she wasn't even noticing that, and it was totally evident to me. Um, so we learn first by just noticing the results in our body of the food that, we, that we've eaten. Does it give you more energy? Does it give you less energy? Does it make your head foggy? Um, do you sniffle? Do you sneeze? Um, do you feel warm all over? So just listening for body signals. And sometimes, you know if you drink a good cup of coffee with caffeine in it, you might get a buzz afterwards. But what happens when you eat a salad? Well, that's going to be a little more subtle. What happens if you eat a sandwich? That might be a little more subtle, but there's always effects from our meal in terms of energy, in terms of cognition, in terms of mood, in terms of bodily symptoms. Um, that's a great place to start. I love that. And I love when people, you know, take a little time to take a break, you know, from gluten or dairy or sugar, whatever it is, just to see what it feels like, you know, not to necessarily eat that way, but to experiment. But what I find, what I'm seeing happening is that there's this, on one hand, people are hearing this message, oh, maybe I can't eat this, I shouldn't eat this, I must eat this, with this other place of we need to accept ourselves and we need to be kind and gentle and listen. And I'm, I'm seeing people suffering with that two different kind of approaches. And I know we can merge them, but do you see what I, do you understand where I'm going with this? How it's like this, one is this very clinical approach to what are the perfect foods for me? And the other is I need to love my body. I need to accept my body and feed it whatever it's wanting, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a great question. And, and it, it's a little bit, to your point, it's a little bit paradoxical. So we have to, in my opinion, um, I, I think people fare best when we agree, when we choose to be general managers of our own body. When I say general manager of your own body, meaning, you know, use the house analogy again, you don't necessarily know how to build a house, but you can hire a contractor, you can hire the electrician, you can hire the architect, you can hire a decorator, and you can interview them and you can pick them out. So you're the general manager of that house. You're the general manager of your body. 
So that's a place of responsibility, of just kind of choosing, I'm going to take care of myself. And from that place, I think we have to get clear about the soup we're swimming in, meaning the world we're living in, meaning right now nutrition is kind of like, nutritional science is like the Wild West. Everybody has an opinion. Every study disagrees with every other study. Yeah, it seems like there's some big truisms out there, but they always get challenged every way. So we have to learn how to, therefore, be nutritionally open and be nutritional explorers. And instead of making that turn us into crazy people, like, but wait a second, he says eat meat and he says be a vegan. Um, Well, how about you experiment and see how you feel And at the same time, yes, we have to stand by ourselves. We have to love ourselves. So I want my client, I want anybody to be able to love themselves no matter what. So love yourself even if you have 30 pounds to lose. Love yourself if you have no pounds to lose. Love yourself if you're gluten intolerant. Um, Love yourself no matter what because what's happening is people are often trying to hate themselves into weight loss, or they're trying to hate themselves into following a diet that they think is going to be right for them in terms of health, metabolism, whatever. And how can we expect a... And and, and the reason why we're trying to lose weight or improve our health is so we could be happier and and feel good about ourselves. Well, how could a road that's filled with (laughs) self-hate, driven by self-hate, how can that road possibly lead to a destination of self-love? So we have to learn how to use both those parts of our brain, the part of my brain that, okay, I have to sift through the details and the information, what information do I want to try out, and then we also have to have that part of us, our heart, our soul, that is standing by ourselves and not attacking self, because that doesn't work. Right. Beating ourselves up never works. So we have to start loving ourselves now instead of waiting till we get to that perfect weight in order to get to that perfect weight. Bingo. Everybody listening to that? (laughs) Say again? I said, is everyone out there listening to that? You know, Lisa, it's, it's easier said than done, but then again, so is everything else in life. Anything is easy, more easily talked about than done, and the truth is, oddly enough, it's not always as hard as we think, and it's often the last place we go, um, you know, and, and I'm that, I, I tell that to any student, to any client, it's, yeah, I want you to have the body that you want to have, but you have to love yourself to get there. And then do they ask you, well, how do I do that? Oh, of course. And then if somebody asks me, you know, what a great question, because the answer is always the same for me, and meaning this, it's small baby steps. If somebody asks me that question, the automatic answer is, okay, well, that's going to be small baby steps, and then it becomes an exploration of what's the right small baby steps for that person. What's a small act of self-love you could do every day that's doable, that's easy, you know? For me, it's making sure I have enough time to be in the shower because I love water and water changes my mood. That's a tiny act of self-love, but if I do that in the morning, it sets up a momentum. You know, for some people, a tiny act of self-love might be, you know, just taking time to walk the dog, Um, 
but anything that demonstrates I'm caring for myself, I'm nourishing myself, that creates a momentum. Well, this is amazing. We're going to go to break right now. When we get back, we're going to hear more from Mark David about how to love ourselves, how to treat our bodies in a great way, and so that we can feel our best. Stay tuned. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you a busy, stressed, and hungry go-getter who knows what to do to get healthier but has trouble doing it? The problem with popular diets is that they were designed for other people, not you. Sure, they might work for the short term, but for the longer term results, you need a plan designed specifically for your unique body and lifestyle. How about the stress in your life? Do you ever stop and take a deep breath? Do you know what all this stress is doing to your health? Healthy living strategist and author of Busy, Stressed, and Food Obsessed, Lisa Lutan will get you on your way with coaching, online courses and challenges, and even retreats. You will learn tips and strategies to help you calm down, get healthy, and make you feel and look better than ever. For a limited time, Lisa Lutan is offering a free 15-minute breakthrough session to help you get started feeling better right away. Just visit HealthyHappyAndHip.com to get your free 15-minute breakthrough strategy session. That's HealthyHappyAndHip. Yes, you heard it right. HealthyHappyAndHip.com and enter your info in the contact page. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Busy, Stressed, and Food Obsessed. To reach the program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. Feel like sending an email instead? Send it to Lisa at healthyhappyandhip.com. Now, back to Busy, Stressed, and Food Obsessed. Here again is Lisa Lutan. Hey, everybody, welcome back. I'm here with Mark David, and we're talking about the psychology of eating. There's so many amazing things to talk about. So, Mark, one of the things that I'm noticing, and it's kind of hard not to, is that you can't look anywhere without seeing beautiful pictures of food. You know, on the the cookbooks are number one bestsellers. We have Instagram. We've got Facebook. We've got recipes. We've got food everywhere. I call it food porn. How is this impacting us and what we want to eat and when we eat and our basic psychology around food? Lisa, it's such a great question. And I... Here's my belief. When I look at it, when I kind of get in the airplane and, and, and take a high view, it seems that we're in a part of human experience and, a, and human evolution where we're pretty, we're pretty tied into food. We're pretty obsessed with food. Um, and, and, you know, that obsession is interesting. It's fascinating. Humans need to eat. And we've turned food into a culture. Um, which is also very interesting and it's very fascinating. Um, the upside of, of that is that we can really explore the food universe and the nutrition universe, and it's fun and it's fascinating. And the downside is, to your point, we can become obsessed and it can become like porn and it can constantly pull at us and tug at us. 
So I feel that in part one of our tasks to do, each one of us, is we have to have a place where we let food go, (laughs) where it's like, okay, done, finish my meal, done. Um, Let's not think about it. Let's not talk about it. Let's live our lives now um, until the next meal. So I think we each need to find our place of balance because the media that's presented to us will pull us in all kinds of interesting directions. And I like to make sure, as much as I watch my food diet, I watch my media diet. And I make sure my media diet is very lean. <laughs> and it only consists of, for the most part, that's what, that which elevates me and serves me, as opposed to kind of pulls me down. Do you think that women think differently about food than men? In a huge way. Um, And excuse me if this is not politically correct, but men and women, though equal in the eyes of the universe, um, we're very different. We're different biologically. We're different emotionally. um, We're different in so many ways. And we're very different in our relationship with food. And to me, in part, that's genetic. Uh, Women bear children. They nourish them directly from their own body for, you know, the first stage of life. Um, Culturally, for eons of time, women have been connected to food in a very different way than men. Um, So, yes, women see food very, very differently. And um, does that mean men won't see food differently in their unique way? Yeah, men see food differently. Some men have a relationship with food very similar to how women relate to food and vice versa. So there's Plenty of crossover, no hard and fast rules here. But yes, 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 yes. Women have, I think, a special relationship with food that we need to acknowledge that and notice that it's different and unique. Do you think that women think about food the way men think about sex? Um, That's a great one, and I would say yes. Um, I would say men and sex, women and food. There it is. But, but why is that? Like, what happened? Where did the wires get crossed somewhere in our development to make that happen? I don't know happen? that that's crossed wires, actually. I think that just might be an attribute of our blueprint. Um, men, the male biology, is it, it's a pollinator. Um, you know, men, men will go out and spread their seed. The male of the species is going to try to pollinate as much as it can. Um, so in a human being, that's often translated into sex drive and have as much sex as possible, even though there's an evolutionary drive to it to reproduce and to continue the species. Um, so that's one part of it. You know, another part of it is... For women in food, observationally, um, it's important for them. Women have an interesting relationship to their throat chakra. To, you know, women, it's, it, it's funny, the yogis of old used to say that women need to use more words than men. Uh, and the first time I heard that, I thought, that's so sexist. And then, but then when I really thought it out, I thought, you know, it's kind of true. Women often, often, the feminine mind often processes in a different way. Um, it, it, it often processes verbally. Um, and the throat is not only about communication. The throat is also, it's what comes out of the mouth, and it's also what comes into the mouth. Um, women 
derive a fantastic amount of pleasure through taste. So if that's the case, you said a little bit earlier, you know, we have this food obsession, but we have to just turn it off. So much easier said than done, right? If, if food is pleasure and women, just by culture, you know, women are the ones making the food, buying the food, you know, wrapping up the leftover food, packing the lunches, like women are around food for the most part more than men. How do you take that where you're surrounded by something that gives you so much pleasure and just say, okay, we got to put it away and stop thinking about it? Mm-hmm. That's a tricky one, isn't it? So yeah. the way I do that is by spreading out the pleasure. What happens is um, humans often get caught in reducing pleasure to a very, very, very specific part of their body. So in the extreme case... When we talk about men and sex, men will often reduce pleasure to this one part of their body, to their groin. It's like, okay, here's how I'm going to get pleasure, this one place. Um, Well, pleasure is essentially felt all over the body and in many different ways. Um, People who get attached to food, if women get attached to food, what's often happening is we're getting attached to the pleasure that comes in through the mouth and through the taste sensation, through the tongue, and we reduce pleasure to the tongue. And when we're not getting pleasure there, we get all agitated. So instead of trying to control that per se, what if we start to ask the question, what else gives me pleasure in life? Um, And it's communication. It could be love. It could be intimacy. It could be touch. It could be music. It could be reading. It could be art, creativity. There's so many other forms of pleasure. We have to spread the pleasure out. When we're getting pleasure in other parts of life, we don't then turn to food to get all our pleasure. But if food is your only source of pleasure, it's going to feel really important. So if you're a woman, let's say, who that's your only source of pleasure, you have to find other sources. I think this is such an important point to make. So for someone who's thinking about food all day long, you know, waking up at breakfast and planning lunch and, you know, Many, many of us out there, we have to really look at and say, okay, what's lacking in my life? Where, what am I really hungry for? And where can I find it in a non-food way? Bingo. Correct? Yeah. Bingo. That's it. Yeah. So, but, but Lisa, notice how we've changed the conversation. It's not, oh my God, you poor food obsessed person. We have to, you have to have more willpower. At least you have to control yourself. No, <laughs> we're not saying that. We're saying yes. Of course you love food. Food is delicious. Food gives you pleasure. Uh, That's not headline news. Instead, let's say, what else gives me pleasure? That's a positive way to approach it. So we're not trying to fight some bad habit. We're trying to add in a new positive habit or a new positive experience. Big difference in strategy. And it ties so much in with what you said earlier about, you know, making time for your shower, you know, making time for those things in our day that really give us joy. Because when we are feeling and making time for the things that we have joy, we don't have to go grab a snack, you know, because those are we're getting fulfilled throughout the day. Bingo. And it's our responsibility. And I accept no complaints there. Somebody says, well, I don't have enough time. Um, there's always, there's always a minute (laughs) here or there uh, to step outside and take a few deep breaths. There's always moments where we can shift ourselves 
with something else that can feel good. We have to be more empowered there, I believe. We have to be more responsible there. Um, We have to step up, oftentimes. So what do you think are some of the questions that we should be asking ourselves, you know, just to give our listeners a good starting point? Questions to be asking ourselves. Okay, great one. First question to ask oneself is, um, how is my relationship with food a great teacher for me? You know, often, how's my relationship with food and my relationship with my body a great teacher for me? Because so many people are experiencing trauma, pain, discomfort, and they're thinking, I've got a problem with food. I've got a problem with my relationship with food or body. And really what's happening is food and body are great teachers. They're teaching us lessons about life. They're teaching us lessons that can help us grow. So when I start to notice, huh, oh, I'm overeating. How's that a great teacher for me? What am I supposed to learn from that? What am I supposed to learn from my emotional eating? What am I supposed to learn from my constant obsessing about food? When we start to listen for the lessons life is trying to teach us, when we start to learn those lessons, that's when you get to graduate. So that's one question to ask oneself. Um, I think another great question to ask is, am I eating in a relaxed state? We didn't really go into this too much, but one of the keys to a successful, healthy relationship with food is to learn to eat while relaxed, because if we're eating while we're stressed, it is almost predictable that we can overeat, that we could binge eat, that we could make poor food choices, uh, that we could limit our appetite and throw the body into a stress response, which will limit the nutritional value of the meal. Even if it's a healthy meal, you'll excrete nutrients if you're eating under stress. So am I putting my body into relaxation when I eat? Which simply means slowing down, which simply means doing five or ten long, slow, deep breaths. Those are two great questions to start with. You know, let's talk a little bit more about that, about how you're eating versus what you're eating. Like so many, so many people, they're like, yeah, I ate my breakfast in the car. Can you tell them why that's not a great idea? Here's the thing. Here's the thing, here's the thing. In my experience, in my belief system, what I've noticed over the years is that what we eat, these specific foods, is half of the story of good nutrition. So am I into good foods? You bet. But the other half of the story of good nutrition is who we are as eaters, how we bring ourselves to the table. Specifically, if you and I are not present to a meal, if I'm eating a meal and I'm eating it rushed, I'm not paying attention, I'm not tasting it, I'm just swallowing the food whole, well, we are actually going against our physiology. Body and brain needs at least 20 minutes or so to realize it's full. The body needs time. The nervous system needs time to scan the nutritional profile of the meal that you're eating. Is there enough macronutrients, micronutrients? Am I getting what I need? Am I getting enough calories? Um, meanwhile, part of the meal is the brain itself requires taste, requires pleasure, aroma, and satisfaction. That's called cephalic phase digestive response. When the brain is not registering taste and pleasure because I'm not paying attention, even though I'm eating the food, your belly can conceivably feel full, but your mouth will still be hungry because your belly's saying, oh, distended full, but the brain is saying, whoa, 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 wait a second, I don't remember food. I didn't get taste. I didn't get pleasure. Hungry. So what happens is then you overeat and you go, oh my God, I'm overeating. I have such poor willpower. No, you don't have poor willpower. You just didn't eat when you were eating. 
You didn't pay attention to it. So the brain is literally requiring our, ex- our presence, our experience of the meal. When you get what you want from your food, um, the body is satisfied, and then it feels full, and that's a natural cycle. Um, we interfere with that natural cycle when we eat under stress, when we eat in an anxious rush, when we eat and we're not paying attention, when we eat and we're multitasking. There's even scientific research on that, that, that when you're multitasking, your digestive capacity actually goes down. That's Mark, <laughs> I think you just gave the best definition of mindful eating I've ever heard. <laughs> Everybody's like, focus on the chewing, but no, you, that's exactly, exactly what we need to be doing. We need to be present in our whole experience. Make so can, can you let people know how they can learn more about you and about how your amazing school Thanks so much for asking, Lisa. My school is called the Institute for the Psychology of Eating. You can learn more about that by going to psychologyofeating.com. And if you forget that, just think psychology of eating and Google that, and we show up everywhere. And we have tons of free content. You know, we have a training for professionals. We train people to be eating psychology coaches in a very beautiful, powerful body of work. We have a and that's online. You could take it from anywhere in the world. We have an online program for the public, you know, anyone else who just wants to work on their own relationship with food. It's called Transform Your Relationship with Food. But again, I have a podcast, free content, videos. There's so much to learn from there. So psychologyofeating.com. And it's pretty awesome. I will definitely attest to that. Mark, thank you so, so, so much for being on the show today. I have loved every minute of this and continue to learn from you. Lisa, you have been a wonderful interviewer and a wonderful host. And thank you for doing the work that you do and and helping put out great messages and good healthy and conscious messages into the world. We need it. Thank you. Oh, such a pleasure. It's been great, listeners, having you here today. Come back next week. In the meantime, I want you to visit my website, healthyhappyandhip.com. Drop me a little note. Tell me what you liked about the show. Tell me what you like to see on future shows. That's www.healthyhappyandhip.com. And have a great week. you've enjoyed today's episode on busy stressed and food obsessed did you get some great ideas from today's show join lisa lutan again next thursday at 9 a.m pacific time and 12 noon eastern time on the voice america health and wellness channel have a great week